Okay, read with me this morning, Matthew 7, chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Most obviously in that passage that Sam just read, uh, Jesus is warning us about false teachers. We call us false prophets. Now, trust me on this. If you ever find yourself writing a sermon to preach on false teachers, you won't have to look very hard to find a modern example. You just don't have to look very hard, very long. You can go into any bookstore, find the spirituality section, um, and there will be plenty of options. For me, what is difficult is limiting myself to one example to use for my introduction. Uh, Like every year, there's a new group that claims to know when Jesus is going to return, right? Um, when the world is going to end. We could use them as our example, false prophets, false teachers. Um, There are cults everywhere. There is just bad theology all over the place. But I want to, for my one example that I'm limiting myself to, I want to tell you about a group called the Universal Life Church, founded by a guy named Kirby Hensley. Kirby Hensley, he was an illiterate guy, by the way, but he wanted to be a preacher. He used to listen to tapes, (laughs) and then he would preach from that. And he founded this universal life church. Universalist means they believe ultimately everyone will be be saved, be redeemed, and reunited with God, uh, which obviously contradicts the Scriptures. Um, The the universal life church has two... um, articles of faith, do what's right, and don't hurt anybody. They're a little bit longer than that, but as long as you do those two things, you're good. And because everybody ultimately is going to be received by God someday, it really doesn't matter who the teacher is or the pastor. So Kirby Hensley began selling ordinations, ordination certificates to anyone who wanted one. By 1999, or excuse me, he died in 1999. His organization continues. By 2009, the Universal Life Church had ordained over 18 million ministers. 18 million. And since then, they continue uh, to, to ordain eight to 10,000 ministers a month. Uh, now, most of those are not people who are going to be Preachers, most people, if they want to, if you want to officiate your cousin's wedding or whatever, you can get a credential through that place. That's what I think most people use it from. But the illustration holds. It's really easy. 
for someone to seem like they've got the qualifications to be listened to, to be followed. They might be ordained. They might have a title. But they can still qualify as what Jesus calls in this passage today, false prophet. Our last sermon in the book of Matthew was two weeks ago before Christmas, so I've got to set the context for you a little bit. We, we have started the beginning of the end <laughs> two weeks ago, the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for a long time now, and Jesus started his conclusion in verses 13 and 14. And we're going to spend three weeks on the conclusion. We finish the Sermon on the Mount next Sunday. And the conclusion, in the conclusion, Jesus hammers home the choice people have to make. He's, as he's preached this fabulous sermon to this crowd, at the end, he wants to present them. You have a choice to make. You can believe me or not believe me. You can follow me or not follow me. And he presents these, this series of twos. There were two roads two gates today, two trees, next week, two houses. There are only two paths in life. That's what he just got done saying. It's been two weeks for us. But the last thing out of his mouth was basically, there are two gates at the end of everyone's life. There's a small gate that few get through that lead to eternal life. And there's a wide gate that most people will go through that leads to eternal destruction. Which path do you want to be on? A path that heads toward the narrow gate or the wide path that leads to destruction. That was the last thing he said. Now, if there's only two paths in, in life, and it's really important that you're on the narrow path of Jesus, it's narrow, it's tight to the point of discomfort, claustrophobia, difficulty at times. If there's only one good path to be on, and it's very narrow, doesn't it make sense that who you listen to and who you follow, whose teaching you follow, is a pretty big deal? That's this, that's this passage. Jesus just said there's only one road worth following. So pay attention to who you, who you are following in this life, whose teaching you're following. He's going to compare teachers to, to trees that we eat from. Be careful who you're eating from, who you're following, what will nourish you and what will not. So today, we're going to look at what, what Jesus means by calling somebody a prophet and what would make one false. And then we're going to see if we can determine, because Jesus tells us, watch out for false teachers. They're hard to identify. I think it's important that we understand maybe how we can do that. Uh, young people, we've got a college kids home and a servicemen home and some that are, will leave home. When you, when you move away, how do you decide where I go to church, who I listen to? If you, you, know, if you download sermons or read books, how do I know if this is worth following? Jesus is going to help us out with that today. We're going to start here in verse 15 answering this question, who would Jesus be talking about when he calls someone a false prophet? Verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of or watch out. That's a command for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly uh, they're dangerous. They're ravenous wolves. First thing I want to say about that, 
is that Jesus is not only telling us to watch out for someone who claims the office of prophet. You don't have to call yourself a prophet to to fall into this category that Jesus is talking about. Jesus, he's preaching to a first century Jewish audience predominantly. False prophets would have made their ears perk up because false prophets had been a real problem in their nation's history. And Jesus is saying that you still have the possibility to make the mistakes your ancestors made when they followed false prophets. To speak prophetically, um, that can be predicting the future, you know, which is a lot what prophets did in the Old Testament, telling you what's coming down the pipe. But basically, anyone who says they have a message from God. Anyone who claims to know the will of God. Anyone who claims to have heard from God, that in a sense can be speaking prophetically, whether they call themselves a prophet or not. So can that be done in a way that's not false? Yes, I hope so, because I do it every Sunday. (laughs) I certainly don't call myself a prophet. But during the sermon time, I might say, I think this is what God would say to us this morning. Um, a few, here's what God's will is for you in your life. A few weeks ago when we talked about turning the other cheek, non-retaliation, I, I told you if you were here, when that person is mean to you, God's will for you is to not retaliate. So I, you know, I claim to know God's will. Sometimes, what makes it false, and what makes it what would make it true? In general, anyone who claims to have a message from God and it's not actually from God, that's false. That's false teaching. Jesus would call him in this context a false prophet. What's the problem with that as our standard? It's really hard to verify, right? It's really hard to know. I could stand up here on a Sunday morning and say, and say this is what God would say to you. And if, if that's not from God, then what I've said is false, whether I know it is or not. In this context, here's the main point, I think. Number two on the screen. Any teacher whose teaching would encourage steps off of the narrow path that Jesus just got done talking about is that false teacher not worthy of following. That path is narrow. Be careful who you listen to, who you follow. Now, again, how do we judge? Number three says, any teacher whose teaching contradicts the revealed word of God is a false teacher, whether he or she knows it or not. The Bible has often been called the revealed word of God. This book, God inspired, preserved, protected, and got to us so that it is God's word that's been revealed in an obvious format. If it's in here, it's from God. If I or anyone else teaches something that disagrees with this book, that message is false. That's why here, 
I'm really careful with this. I try to stick to this book. I try not to get too far away from this book because I know if it's in here, it's true. And I'm a, I'm a very big proponent in what's called the sufficiency of the Scriptures. Sufficient meaning, this is enough for our spiritual food. It's not that God, that we sometimes don't need information in life that isn't found in the Bible. Like I can't learn how to balance my checkbook in the Bible. I may need some other information. Um, you know, if I'm going to start a business, if, I'm, there's, there's, if I want to learn how to cook something, I may need information that's not in the Bible. But as far as my main goal in life, which Jesus told us last week, which is to aim for the narrow gate, follow the narrow path, this is sufficient for that in my life. I'm, I'm not going to deal with things very much that are uh, from God or supposedly from God that aren't in that book. Now, Pastor Matt, you don't think God still speaks to us today? I do, I do believe that. I do believe he speaks to us. Um, I've shared stories before about when God spoke to me, not in an audible voice, but where I was sure God was some, laying something on my heart, and, and I won't go into those, those stories today, but yes, God speaks to us in that still, small voice. Um, God speaks to us through wise counsel. God might speak to us in the words of a hymn that doesn't come from, from the Scriptures. But most often and most clearly... God speaks to us through His Word. Most often and most clearly, God has spoken to me through His Word. And it's verifiable. And it's sure. And any teaching is false if it differs from the revealed Word of God in its content, but also, number four, in its motive, and its goals. And that sounds... Simple enough. So uh, it's false teaching. If it's not actually from God, if it encourages steps off the narrow path, um, if it contradicts the Bible, or, or if the teaching differs in, in Jesus's, from Jesus in motive or goal, it's false. And that sounds really simple, but it's often not that easy um, to tell. You know, when I'm making the visual aid for this sermon... There are lots of good pictures of wolves in sheep's clothing. <laughs> there are lots of memes on the internet. And they're a little bit misleading in this. Every single one of them, at first glance, you can tell that's really a wolf, not a sheep. And you know what Jesus' whole point in the be careful of false teachers? They're in sheep's clothing underneath their wolves. The whole point is it's really hard to tell sometimes. It's not obvious like Cujo in the picture up here. If you laughed, you've showed your age, shown your age, by the way. Under a certain age, people have no idea who Cujo is or why I just said that. Um, false teachers act like sheep. They look like sheep. They talk like sheep. They don't wear name tags that say, Hello, my name is false teacher. We're going to see in a minute, often they don't know. I want to skip around just a little bit. I want to go to the end of this passage because I want to show you. Jesus teaches us about the importance of being nourished from the right tree. 
But then at the end of this passage, he shows us some examples of why we have to be careful. Because he shows us some examples of of things false teachers do and say that make it really hard to tell if they're false teachers or not. In verses uh, 21 and 22 and 23, Jesus tells us how difficult it can be to know if a false teacher is a false teacher. In verse 21, Jesus says this. In the context, I believe this is about false teachers. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. I think that's about false teachers. By the way, in Greek, repeating words is to emphasize words. It would be like an exclamation point. So, Lord, Lord. Anybody who, just because somebody says, I really, really call Je- say good things about Jesus, call Jesus my Lord, even that doesn't mean someone's guaranteed to be worth following. False teachers, many false teachers, say good things about Jesus. Claim that they follow Jesus. Claim that Jesus is Lord. There are multiple cults who believe, say good stuff about Jesus. Right? Everything someone says does not have to be false before I probably shouldn't follow them. You want to know something Satan's really good at? Satan's really good at making things sound like almost true. Right? If, if biblical truth is, is like this, Satan doesn't always say stuff that's this. He just wants this to be this. Just twisted, just a turned, just bent, just a little bit. So that if I follow this, this just twisted, just bent, just a little bit path, at first, there doesn't seem to be any difference between truth and non-truth. But the further I go in a slightly bent trajectory, what happens? For long if I'm not careful, I can kind of wake up and go, how did I get here? Satan's really good at that. If you read Genesis 3, you'll find it's one of the oldest tricks in his book. He's been doing it a long time. So just because people talk good about Jesus doesn't mean that's, that's who I, I should, somebody I should be following. Verse 22 says, On that day many will come to me, And say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and do many powerful deeds? This is a very real prediction that will come true. Where Jesus says, people who have had ministries on earth are going to stand before Jesus thinking they're going through that narrow gate and they're not. And Jesus will say to them, you know, in a second we'll see, depart from me, I never knew you. And their argument will be, whoa, 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 Lord, during my ministry, didn't I do that, st- all that stuff I did and say that you were behind it? Didn't I do that in your name? Like I cast out demons, maybe people were healed. I did all these fantastic, and I gave you the credit. I said you were behind that. I gave you credit. It was in your name. If any ministry or teacher, if their motives aren't Jesus' motives, 
if the kingdom they're building isn't Jesus' kingdom. They can do fantastical things, maybe even at times, and be a dangerous uh, source of nourishment. You want to know a um, sort of a qualification for being a teacher that holds not a thimble full of water biblically? It's this one. Well, you saw what I did, so that means I have to be legit. We'll call this the Benny Hinn method of, <laughs> of qualification. You saw that thing that happened, so that I have to be legit. Don't take my word for this. Take this book's word for this. The qualifications for being a, a quality teacher is not evidence of things I did that were wonderful. Clear from the beginning. Clear back in Deuteronomy. This is going to be Moses' writing. And Moses is going to tell Israel, if somebody shows up and does something awesome, that still doesn't mean you follow them. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Moses presents an example in the law to be applied in many different situations. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. Moses says, Suppose a prophet or someone who foretells by dreams should appear among you and show you a sign or wonder. Verse 2, and the sign or wonder should come to pass. So it actually happens. Moses says, that still doesn't mean that's the person you should follow. Here's his example. And what if what he says then, namely, is let us follow other gods, gods you, whom you have not previously known, and let us serve them. Moses says you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer, for the Lord your God will be testing you to see if you love him with all your heart and mind and being. Here's the test Moses puts out. Let's say somebody blows into town and they turn water into wine. They go to the swimming pool and part that baby in half and walk through on dry land, whatever it is. Does that mean you follow him? No, listen to what he teaches. His example is, what if that person does this miracle and then says, hey, let's follow different gods. Would you follow him then? And the answer in Moses' audience would be, oh no, we would never follow someone like that. I think that's applicable to lots and lots of situations. Um, Experiences, miracles. Uh, are not to be the, the qualification. Ah, does what he teach agree with the revealed word of God? Jesus tells us in verse 23 that there will be many people, false teachers, who don't know they're false, who will stand before Jesus and even they will be surprised they're not getting in. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Not, you know, I used to know you, but you kind of, you kind of lost your way after a while. I never knew you. I think what Jesus will, will be saying then to someone like he's just described is something like this. What you were doing was not building my kingdom. With, with my methods, for my glory. You were building your kingdom. You were trying to be impressive. You were trying to do your thing, and you were putting my name on it because you thought I would help. Depart from me. 
for I never knew you. And it is really difficult to tell the difference at times. How do we know? Can we know? Can we know the difference between a legit teacher and a false teacher if they can do miracles, if they can talk good about Jesus, if everything they say isn't false? We can. Back to the heart of the passage. Verses 16 through 20 is where Jesus compares teachers to trees. And Jesus says, we'll be able to identify false teachers by their fruit. This is such a helpful metaphor. Using this metaphor, Jesus says, teachers are like trees. This is very similar to when Shrek said, ogres are like onions, but it's different. So don't get the two things confused. That was in Shrek, 1 Shrek 3.16. Ogres are like onions. This is different. Teachers are like trees. And this is such a helpful metaphor. There's two parts. One is a really easy test of a teacher. The second one's more difficult. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruit. First test. He says, grapes are not gathered from thorns, and figs aren't gathered from thistles. Are they? What's the answer to that question? No. All right. You can tell by looking that you're not going to get grapes from a thistle. Right? Here's what Jesus is teaching right there. Don't try to get Jesus-style nourishment from a non-Jesus plant. Here's what he's throwing out. Well, there's, no, there's truth in all of these religions. Like, I can follow this guru because he says some really good things. I can have this life coach that it's okay that she's not a Christian. Jesus said, that's not even the right kind of plan. You, you don't get figs from thistles and grapes from thorn bushes or however he said it. You got to make sure you're at least going to the right kind of tree. Again, I'm not talking about getting financial advice or going to see your doctor when you're sick. Uh, I'm not, through in his, in his common grace, Jesus has given us, God has given us lots of outside information. I'm talking about for the direction of my life. I'm not going to take life direction from someone that doesn't even claim to be going toward the same narrow gate that Jesus told me to go toward. Does that make sense? That's the easy one. In the same way, verse 17, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree is not able to bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree good fruit. This is a really helpful metaphor. A subtle shift. You can tell by looking you're not going to get something good to eat from a thistle. Trees are different. Trees are different. What makes a good tree a good, a good fruit tree a good fruit tree? Is it how much shade it puts out? I mean, leaves it gets, how tall it is. What makes a good fruit tree a good fruit tree? Fruit. <laughs> fruit. Now, how easy is it to tell this time of year whether you've got a good, tree or bad, a good fruit tree or a bad fruit tree? Can't tell. The good ones and the bad ones look, look alike. Sometimes if you just plant one, It takes quite a while to even be able to tell. But the goal is fruit. Here's my example for this. When we moved to town here, we were uh, almost seven years ago now, 
Um, when we were looking at the house we live in, there was the ugliest crab apple tree you ever saw in your life in, in our backyard. Literally, there's holes drilled through this thing and chains holding it together to keep it from just falling apart. It's a hideous looking tree. I couldn't wait to cut down that crab apple tree. Then we moved in in June and I noticed something. Those weren't crab apples. Those were cherries. Lots and lots of cherries. I couldn't tell by looking what I was even, what kind of tree I was even looking at. I thought it was a bad tree because it was pretty homely. But it was a good tree. So it is with teachers. Some are obvious like thistles and thorn bushes. I'm not going to get any Jesus kind of fruit filling from that tree. Others are not. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Be careful who you try to get nourished from in teaching. And by the way, just to, if this is sufficient, well then we don't even, shouldn't even come listen to a teacher, should we? You ever heard that? There are some denominations that believe that. Shouldn't have pastors because all we need is this. Jesus is telling us to find the right kind of teacher. Paul tells us, find somebody who'll study this thing. By the way, he also tells you to pay them. I like that part. Um, it's my favorite verse in the whole Bible. No, it's not. It's not, but seriously, it's up there. Um, no, find a teacher. Just make sure they, they, they give good fruit. So what is, what is the fruit of a teacher? It's a metaphor. And he doesn't tell us what the fruit is. Right? I'm not going to start sprouting pears up here, Right? What is the fruit of a teacher? I think the thing that comes to, to my mind quickly, uh, the fruit of a teacher is thing like the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think that's Christian maturity is part of the fruit of, of a teacher worth following. Because um, it's supposed to be a part of any of our lives. So, you know, if you, I think there's a part of this, if you get to know a teacher and, uh, you know, his, he's not characterized by love. He's not a loving person, um, especially, he's not um, joyful and patient, especially during trials. Um, he's not patient and self-controlled when he's challenged, when he's rebuked. I think that can be a, a problem But I'm not sure this is the main idea and the main fruit we're supposed to be looking for. This, it's really hard because you have to get to know somebody really well. Um, here's what I'll say this morning about the, the main fruit of a teacher is spiritual maturity ripening in the lives of people who are taught. The main fruit of a teacher isn't in the teacher. It's in the people being taught. And again, don't take my word for this. Go here. In 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, oh man, how far down this rabbit hole do I want to jump? In 2 Corinthians, it's, it's a letter written back to the church in Corinth. Paul was there. He taught. He had a relationship with these people. Some false teachers have come in. 
And they're starting to tell people, don't listen to Paul. That guy's always in jail. He's always getting beat up. He's always getting shipwrecked. Obviously, God's not with that guy. Follow us. We're the real teachers. Look how famous and successful and whatever else we are. And one thing these false teachers brought with them is letters of recommendation. I assume from wealthy, influential people that said, you should follow this guy and not Paul because he's really awesome. Paul has received word of those letters of recommendation with these false teachers. And you know what he tells the Corinthians? I don't need letters of recommendation. You are my letter of recommendation. It's a different metaphor for the same thing. He says, you are the fruit. I want to read that with you. 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Paul writes, we don't need, and Paul's we, probably him and maybe Timothy or somebody going with him. But he says, we don't need letters of recommendation to you or from you as some other people do. Do we? The answer is no. Verse 2, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone, revealing that you are a letter of Christ, that's the author, delivered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on stone tablets, but on the tablets of human hearts. Paul says, why should you follow me in my ministry and not the false teachers? Why am I the true teacher and those guys are the false teachers? What's the proof? You want proof? You're the proof. I showed up in that town. I delivered the gospel of Jesus Christ and your hearts changed. And some behaviors that had been locked in your personality for so long began to fall away. You are the proof. You are the fruit. For Paul, Paul's ministry was not about Paul. Paul was not trying to be what the false teachers were, rich, famous, successful, influential. Paul said, I'm an, I'm an ambassador in chains. I don't care if I'm shipwrecked or in prison. Wherever I am, I've learned to do all things through Christ who strengthens me because my ministry is about Jesus. And when you heard Jesus, and he changed your hearts. You're the fruit of my ministry. So practically, how do we do this? How do we inspect the fruit of a teacher? (laughs) And and by the way, I'm convinced that that's the fruit inspection we're supposed to be doing. This is not about being a fruit inspector of other Christians to try and see if they're really saved. That's terrifying because you're supposed to be doing this to me. Here's here's how we do this. Young people, when you move away, old people, if you move away, and find a new church, how do we beware of false prophets? It's a command of Jesus. Here's how I would tell you to do this. First, just is his teaching biblical? Is this what he teaches? Does he claim Jesus Christ? Like, if not, he's a thistle. You don't try to get Jesus-style fruit from a non-Jesus plant. That's, that's easy. For me, personally, um, what's, what's the center of the, of the worship service? Is it this? Or is this somewhere off to the side and there's something else more important than this? That's the easy one. But there are other trees that are under the umbrella of Christianity 
even evangelical Christianity. How do you know a good tree from a not-so-good tree? There are good trees that put on good fruit. There are bad, sick, diseased trees. The Greek word carries that idea. That they are under the umbrella of Christianity. They're still not a good tree. I would ask these two questions. First, what does this teacher's teaching make much of? The churchy way to say that is, what does it glorify? Good teaching glorifies Jesus Christ. Paul would say, I teach Christ crucified and him only. There are other options, though. Does, does a teacher's teaching make much of the teacher? That's a problem. And there's one other really sneaky option here. Does the teacher's teaching make much of the listener? Right? Is, does the teacher's teaching, is it, is it always five steps to improve this? You know, ways to make your life better. This one is a, just, it's an easy way to uh, get rid of what's called the, the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel. Um, how to have your best life now. Uh, God doesn't want you broke. God doesn't want you sick. Right? And if you just believe hard enough and you do these behaviors and you pray like this, you, somehow you can manipulate God into giving you what you want right now. Hold that up to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus and his apostles taught, we're supposed to have joy and peace and hope when our circumstances are bad. They never taught how to get God to give you what you want now. So does the teaching make much of the listener? Is it self-esteem, self-improvement, or does it make much of Jesus Christ? Next, and on a related note, I would ask this. What does his teaching make me desire? What does his teaching make me want? Because the fruit of a teacher, in this context, where does it show up? In the people being taught. So when I sit under this teaching, what does it make me want? There's a red flag if what I want after hearing this is I want the more money that guy was just talking about. What I want is... You know, health and wealth and prosperity. If, if what it, the teaching makes me want is better circumstances here and now, I'm out. That's bad fruit. That is bad fruit in my heart that will not nourish me. Here's another very common one. That under the umbrella of Christianity, you've got the right kind of tree, but it's, it's not worth following. Is what this teaching makes me desire is spiritual experiences, is uh, the ooey gooey's, the warm fuzzies. I want that thing where God makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, the spectacular. That shouldn't be my main fruit and my main what 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 teaching makes me desire. Now listen, hear me very carefully. If you follow Jesus with all your heart and soul and strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself, 
Will there be times in your life when the hair stands up on the back of your neck and where Jesus is just so real and he does something miraculous and we all praise God together? Absolutely. Those times where you know you go back in and, the, and they look at the scan again and the doctor said, there should be a tumor here. There's no tumor here and I got nothing. I have no idea. We say, but praise God, right? That's, that's awesome. Um, you know, Brian and Rebecca Shippard aren't here. I'll talk about them behind their backs. You know, when, when the nurses come in and say, she shouldn't be here. She said, it's like there were angels in this room or something. Right? I'm getting chills even thinking about that. That's awesome. Praise God. God does stuff like that. But here's what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Your hunger and thirst of your life should be for righteousness, obedience, daily walking that narrow path. And I don't want to lie to you. Sometimes that's a lot less glamorous than signs and wonders and miracles. And sometimes if what I really hunger for is the fantastical stuff, sometimes when I open up the book of Ephesians to study, it doesn't make me feel like that other stuff makes me feel. And I want less of this and more of that. And this is God's revealed word to us. This is where he speaks to us. This is how we know who to follow and what to follow. So that hunger, if the fruit that's showing up in me from sitting under teaching is a desire for spiritual experience, I'd say that's bad fruit. Even though it's awesome when it works that way. It's awesome. So what should the fruit feel like, be like, in my heart when I sit under a good teacher, a good tree. Oh, I want to say this one more thing. Again, don't take my word for that one. Use this book. Read through the Gospels and underline every time somebody comes to Jesus and asks him to do a sign or a wonder. And count how many times his response is positive toward that person. You know how many times it is? <laughs> Somebody say, hey, will you come and you do a sign and a wonder? If you do something awesome, maybe we'll believe. He calls them wicked and perverse. So what should the fruit be that's showing up in my life resulting from a teacher's teaching? I don't remember if I did a slide for this or not. Sort of. All right. Here's what this teaching should create in me from a good tree teacher. When I sit under that teaching, it makes me want more of Jesus and care less about things of this earth. This teaching makes me want Jesus to be glorified. This teaching makes me want other people to know the hope that I have in this Jesus. Even if I have to decrease in people's eyes, I want him to increase and me to decrease, as John the Baptist said it. 
This teaching makes me want to be more humble, which means makes me want to put others first. This teaching makes me want to be an encourager to somebody else, put a spotlight on somebody else, help somebody else, be a comfort to someone else. This teaching makes me want to be more obedient to God and His Word. Now listen, I may not get there. I discipled under a great teacher and that fruit I felt in the pew. My problem was after I went home, right? Then I would get in the way. My pride got in the way. My selfishness got in the way. My desires got in the way. But doggone it, when I listened to Pastor Greg open this thing up and teach, I wanted what he was giving away. That's what I wanted. That's who I wanted to be. That was good fruit in my heart. And it's why I'm standing here. Because he was a good tree. I thank God for him. I got to tell you, this is, this is as uncomfortable of a passage to teach as I've gone through in a while. Because it is about determining whether or not a teacher is a wolf who only looks and talks like a sheep. And a tree that's kind of the right kind, but maybe isn't good. So by way of, I want to invite you to evaluate me as the main teacher here. Um, But I want you to know this, the main event of Christianity that happens here doesn't happen here. The purpose of my ministry, I, I will, according to the Bible, incur a stricter judgment when I stand before that judge because I'm a teacher. That is terrifying. (laughs) And he will not judge me based on uh, how many people come to this church. He will not judge me based on how popular my teaching was. You know what I will be judged on? If you guys grow spiritually. Paul said, my ministry is about you. Not me. You want to do something for you want to do something for your pastor? Please don't wait for Pastor Appreciation Month in October. Get in your word. Go to him in prayer. Take steps of obedience. Invite somebody over and strengthen them. You know, at the end of his life, the Apostle John. I think I know why he said this. We've got this hanging in our house. The Apostle John's talking about the people who were under his teaching. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. You know why he said that? Because he wanted to be a good tree. It wasn't like, I have no greater joy. Fill in the blank. What would, what would, what would a preacher even say? I have no greater joy than there being lots of people. I have no greater joy than, than there's lots of money in the offering. I have no greater, Paul, John says, I have no greater joy than when people hear this stuff and they put it to work in their life and they're more obedient this year than they were last year and they're growing. It's being a good tree. The main event of this ministry happens out there. So may God take what he feeds me and then what he feeds us and grow us together so that when we all 
one at a time, or maybe all at once stand before him. Rather than depart from me, I never knew you. We would hear, come on in. Enter into the rest I've prepared for you. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for your word, even the challenging uh, places. Thank you for reminding me personally what is to be the main focus of teaching. God, your word is sufficient and it is true and it is good food. May we come and eat and then go and and walk with you in obedience to you that others might want to know the hope that we have in you, God. We love you. Feed us and grow us in Jesus' name. Amen.